Hello, and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, and on this Tuesday, I'm starting a new mini-series. And, you know, I'm going to be going back and forth to all the old ones, as I have throughout my Tuesdays of recording this podcast. This one is going to be called The Foundations of Fascism. Whereas in Faces of Fascism, I look at particular people, individuals, that have been important to the global right-wing movement since its inception in the 19th century, in Foundations of Fascism, I'm going to be talking about institutions, organizations that have been important to the rise of fascism throughout the world. This week, I'm talking about an organization that actually has the word foundation in its name. I'm talking about the Heritage Foundation. The Heritage Foundation is the leading far-right think tank and policy organization in the United States. It played a huge role in the rise of what historians and you know, people who study the right wing call the New Right, which was the major right wing formation in the 1970s and 80s. And it continues to play a major role on the right wing today. Its primary purpose on the right wing in the United States is agenda setting. It is an extremely influential think tank that publishes massive amounts of papers and briefs and policy suggestions. And it has a list of people that you might want to hire if you are a conservative candidate. It has an extremely important set of connections to potential conservative and right-wing donors. And so cozying up to the Heritage Foundation is one of the most important things that you can do if you are a right-wing political actor in the United States today. The Heritage Foundation is a think tank. It is headquartered in Washington, D.C., and it is understood to be one of the most influential think tanks in the United States. Heritage was founded in 1973, like I said, during the birth of the new right which was this right-wing formation in the United States in the wake of the failure of the Goldwater campaign, in the ascension of the left and what was understood at the time to be the, quote, liberal consensus. At the time, in the early 1970s, the Republican Party was still run by its liberal wing, that is, the pro-business but also pro-personal freedom branch of the Republican Party. This was even true during the Nixon administration, which is when Heritage was founded. Remember that Nixon signed the EPA, the Environmental Protection Act. Nixon extended universal federal support for a bunch of medical procedures and, you know, medical expenses that people face in the United States. Richard Nixon also engaged with communist China and normalized relations with communist China, something that no democratic politician was willing to try to do. So in 1973, some of the leading lights on the extreme right wing of the United States decided that they were going to take matters into their own hands and they were going to found a long-view organization. That's what Heritage is. It looks towards the future and not just next year, not just the next five years. It's talking about the next 10 years, the next 20, the next 30. How to completely reorganize U.S. politics in order to make it be more in line what it wants. The three founders of the Heritage Foundation are extremely important people in and of themselves. I've talked about some of them so far. One of them is Paul Weyrich, a religious conservative political leader who is a major innovator on the right-wing political world, or was prior to his death in the early 21st century. Weyrich was a pioneer of direct mailing. Weyrich also founded ALEC, an organization that produces easy policy briefs and you know, potential laws for people to 
pass or at least to propose if they're conservative in a United States state government. Paul Weyrich was part of the foundation of the moral majority. Weyrich was a Catholic who helped unite the Protestant and Catholic right in the United States, which is a major part of what heritage is. The second founder of the Heritage Foundation is a guy named Edwin Fulner. Fulner was one of the organization's first presidents and its longest serving so far. He was the president of the organization from 1977 to 2013, an extremely storied and influential career covering a massive number of conservative right-wing presidents, right? This is the entirety of the Reagan and H.W. Bush presidencies and also the two terms of W. Bush's presidency. Like Weyrich, Fulner was a devout Catholic and did a lot of work with organizations that supported the, quote, victims of communism, which is a sort of dog whistle that was used during the Cold War in the United States and Western Europe to refer to extreme right-wing people who had fled Eastern Europe in an attempt to avoid justice from the Soviet Union, you know, for being like fascists in Poland or Germany or Ukraine or something like that. The last founder of the Heritage Foundation is the money guy. This is Joseph Coors, the grandson of Adolf Coors, who is the founder of Coors Beer. At the time, Joseph Coors was a major founder of right-wing political activity in the United States. He helped Weyrich and Fulner in a bunch of other things that they did. He also helped with the foundation of, you know, the first attempt at creating something like Fox News, which was something that Paul Revick tried to do. Coors's involvement with the Heritage Foundation and the continued involvement of the Coors family in right-wing politics, not just in the United States, but internationally, is why I am begging you to never drink any Coors beer ever. Coors is the fascist beer, period, full stop. This is 100% true. Heritage's goal at its foundation was to create a long-term conservative plan to fight communism on the left in the United States and abroad, and to combine that fight against communism with a, with a vision of the religious right and moral, you know, crusade-type crap. Heritage Foundation pioneered the direct mailing method of fundraising, you know, just like getting a list of people and sending you mail month after month, year after year, asking you to send in checks, asking you to be a regular donor. This was prior to the possibility of you having like a paid subscription or something like that, right? They needed you to send the check every single time. And so they just pumped out letters and kept people donating. They used this to amass a massive amount of money, which they used to influence United States politics. Their real break in terms of their governmental influence began with the Reagan administration, and specifically with Reagan's adoption of a policy vision created by the Heritage Foundation, which was called Mandate for Leadership. Mandate for Leadership was an extremely extensive set of policy documents. You can look them up. There are hundreds and hundreds of pages, which detail how to drastically reorganize and reorient United States domestic policy. Reagan used these policies. He loved them. He had a copy sent to every single person on his cabinet. And specifically what it organizes and, you know, suggests is that the United States government drastically reduce the funding for social programs, that a bunch of federal employees be fired or that their hours be drastically reduced, and also that the federal government be organized and implemented in order to promote conservative values in the United States. Reagan himself said later, at the end of his presidency, that the Heritage Foundation was a vital part of his administration. 
It provided some intellectual impetus. It provided a lot of ideas and a lot of the, you know, like verve and just like policy and will and just spirit of the Reagan administration. A lot of that comes from the Heritage Foundation. Heritage continued to be influential in the H.W. Bush administration, although H.W. Bush was a little bit more of a classic liberal Republican, not quite so much a moral majority crusader like Reagan himself was. Heritage then worked in the 1990s in the Clinton presidency on Gingrich's takeover of the United States House of Representatives. Prior to Newt Gingrich's takeover of the United States House of Representatives and the Republicans gaining majority in the House, the Democrats had held a majority in the House of Representatives in the United States for most of the 20th century, right? So this transformation of U.S. politics and the creation of a Republican House of Representatives completely transformed U.S. politics. It is one of the reasons that the Clinton administration was as conservative as it was, and it is one of the reasons that Democratic politicians in the United States haven't been able to do much of what they want since then. Heritage had its fingers in that, too. Heritage spent the 2000s at the head of the conservative movement in the United States, supporting the George W. Bush initiatives and opposing Barack Obama initiatives, even if they were things that Heritage had previously supported. Like, for example, when Barack Obama supported the policy that would eventually come to be called Obamacare, it was basically just a version of a policy that had been implemented in the state of Massachusetts when Republican Governor Mitt Romney was the governor, and then it was called Romney Care, and Heritage loved it. Heritage's really present orientation toward the right wing originates, like most of them do, with the candidacy of Donald Trump in 2015-2016. Originally, Heritage did not support Trump. They thought that he was a clown candidate. That's a direct quote from leaders of Heritage. But after Trump secured the nomination, Heritage got in line and was really at the forefront of the Trump administration as well. This is partly because they got in line so quickly and didn't remain never-Trumpers, you know, people who were just going to hold their nose and vote for Hillary Clinton, right? The Heritage Foundation went all in for Donald Trump. This meant that they were on the front lines of getting staffers installed in the Trump administration. Heritage, with every presidency, has basically a plan to, like, give the president just, like, a list of, like, here's a bunch of conservative people that you could give jobs in D.C., you know, undersecretaries and stuff like that, deputy secretaries of whatever cabinet position, stuff like that. Heritage succeeded massively in the Trump administration. Hundreds of people that they suggested to Donald Trump ended up in the Trump administration, including Betsy DeVos, who fucked over the Department of Education, Rick Perry, Jeff Sessions, and also one of Trump's eventual chiefs of staff, Jim DeMint. Now, the Heritage Foundation kind of backed off a little bit as Trump was trying to stage his coup in 2021, but they did make some mentions of supposed election fraud, you know, like just enough that they didn't seem like they were opposed to Donald Trump. After the loss of Donald Trump and the ascension of Biden to the presidency, they worked with some former Trump people, but also moved in the direction of signaling that they were going to support Mike Pence in 2024. Essentially, this seems like they were trying to hope for a return to the real height of their power, which was the Reagan administration. Unfortunately for them, and also for the rest of the world, that would be too good, right? We're not going to get back to a Reagan presidency. Instead, the Republican Party, in no small part because of how the Heritage Foundation has transformed conservatism in the United States, the only Republican Party that the United States has left is Donald Trump's Republican Party. 
This meant that the Heritage Foundation, as we are getting closer and closer to the upcoming presidential election in 2024, they're really gearing up for Donald Trump to be the nominee again. And I guarantee you that they will be in line trying to work with President Trump. I can guarantee you that partly because of how Heritage works and also just because of the obvious evidence. Like I've said, with the ascension of every single Republican president and also with every single presidential election, one of Heritage's big projects is creating a massive policy brief, a big suggestion book of things that a potential right-wing Republican president could do upon seizing the presidency in the United States. And this year is no different. This time, this policy is called Project 2025, spearheaded by people at the Heritage Foundation, but also a collaboration across the right wing in the rest of the United States. Like I said, this is a plan much like the one that they gave Reagan, but it is even more radical and intense. Essentially, Project 2025 plans to fire as many federal employees as it is literally possible to do. It suggests that a Republican president could cancel federal employees' ability to negotiate union contracts, something that is currently in U.S. law protected only by an executive order. It also suggests that the president might use their power to expand fossil fuel protection, that it eliminate protections against global warming increases, uh, essentially to roll back as much of Joe Biden's, you know, green energy policies, you know, for whatever they are. And of course, because it's heritage, these economic means of attacking the United States, although of course, attacking federal employees is also a racist attack against people of color in the United States because people of color are disproportionately employees of the federal government because they face discrimination or worse discrimination in employment in the private sector. So as if these economic and racial and sociological attacks on the American people aren't enough, Heritage also has the culture war side of Project 2025. Their proposal is that the United States ban pornography. Now, that might sound like a, you know, prohibition-style, wacky, stupid move, but that's not what this is. The point of their claim that we should ban pornography isn't exactly about pornography. It's about trans rights. Because in their mind, in the mind of conservative people in the United States, and specifically of heritage, even talking about the existence of trans people is pornographic because they can't understand the difference between a person experiencing gender dysphoria and a person talking about sex and sexuality. That, 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 that's incomprehensible to them. And so they think that telling children about the existence of trans people is showing children pornography. That's what they think. And so they think that by banning pornography, or at least by getting some laws in the books that prevent, you know, quote-unquote, discussing pornographic details or issues with children, that they can get teachers who teach children about the existence of trans people. Like, just that. Not even, like, having a, an LGBTQ flag in their school, classroom. Not, like, 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 not even that. Just, just, just saying trans people exist. They think that they could get those teachers put on a list of registered sex offenders. That is what Heritage Foundation is all about. They are a, a terrifying organization that has been behind the scenes of the growth of the right wing in the United States for, at this point, 50 years. They've been a major player in the story of the right wing's takeover of the United States and also in the international story of the right wing. They are currently working very closely with international organizations on the right. Specifically, they have started a new collaboration with right wing organizations in Viktor Orban's Hungary. 
Heritage Foundation will remain a major player on the right wing in the United States for the foreseeable future. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. Check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 Minutes of Fascism. That's 15 Minutes of Fascism spelled out in all one word. That's also where you can reach me on Gmail, 15 Minutes of Fascism at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at Hist of the Right, that's H-I-S-T of the Right, and Fascism 15, again, that's spelled out in all one word. I'm on Blue Sky at 15-M-I-N-S-O-F-F-A-S-C. All right, thanks very much, and I'll talk to you Thursday. Thank you.